Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit, and then Zach and Brandon will talk a little bit more. Uh, um, you know, go ahead and keep eating while we're talking. If your back is turned to me, I totally get it. I won't be offended. Um, uh, hopefully you'll just be able to hear um, even like that. I'm going to read again the passage that I preached from, and this is from 1 Timothy. First of all, then I urge you, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Um, it, it's fortuitous that that uh, passage fell on today uh, because it really lends itself well to uh, what we want to talk to you about in terms of what's the what's the forming vision of the five o'clock service in terms of where we're headed, especially as we look into the this program year, which means kind of September through August. Um, the church cycle doesn't really revolve around the what we call the liturgical calendar of Advent through you know, um, Trinity Sunday or January through December, the sort of chronological calendar, but it really does kind of operate on a, on a program year, which is why we decided to do another town hall meeting like this. But we also just, a lot's happened since we last uh, gathered uh, like this several months ago. Uh, so it's, it's timely to talk about things like the move to the nave, which I announced, um, and why we're doing that. Um, but, uh, uh, to sort of frame what I want to talk about, I want to remind you of something, or maybe you've never heard it before, which is the, the Cathedral Church of the Advent, the Advent's um, sort of mission or vision statement. And it's not, so, it's not really so much of a, a mission statement as you normally see one, as much as it's sort of an observation of what the Advent's about, what it's always been about, uh, and where we continue to stand. And it's, uh, we call it the Four Hearts. Maybe you've heard of the Four Hearts before. We have a heart for the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the one mediator uh, for all mankind. We have uh, a heart for those who have not yet heard the gospel, those who have not yet heard that good news. Uh, we have a heart for those who have been burned by the church. A lot of people have been burned by the church. Sad to say that even the, the Advent has burned some people, and we repent of that. Um, but we have a heart for people who have been burned in a variety of different ways by the church, uh, across the spectrum. We often get some people who start to come around to the Advent uh, because something has happened elsewhere and this has become a place of rest and respite, to rest in that good news. Um, so we're deliberate about those who've for some reason been burned by the church. Uh, and finally, we have a heart for the city of Birmingham. For some reason, God has placed us uh, in, by his providence right here, right now, uh, in this geographic place and time. Uh, and for that reason, uh, we, you know, we don't have a sort of pie in the sky when you die sort of theology, like this world's all going to go to hell in a handbasket, but one day, you know, we're going to be in the ethereal plane. No, we respect the fact that we're here right now uh, in, uh, in this place, uh, and we want to be stewards of what God has given us. Uh, and really, that means the people of Birmingham. 
an interest uh, for, you know, and when people say Birmingham, they mean the metropolitan area, don't they? I don't mean just the city of Birmingham itself, though we are in the city of. But when people say Birmingham, they mean uh, kind of this whole sort of geographic uh, region here in central Alabama. So we have a heart for the good news of Jesus Christ, those who have not yet heard that news, those who've been burned by the church for whatever reason, and for the city of Birmingham. And there are a lot of people who have not yet heard the gospel uh, and who have been burned by the church living right here in Birmingham. Um, And uh, at the five o'clock service, we really want to lean into all those things in terms of what what we're doing. Let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about. Um, A year and a half ago or so, I was in New York City um, uh, and uh, stayed on. I was at a conference that goes Thursday through Saturday and I stayed through Sunday. Actually, I was with Brandon and we went to church at a church called Calvary, which is a part of a parish called Calvary in St. George's, which hosts the conference that we were at. Uh, and it just so happened that that Sunday was Confirmation Sunday, which here at the Advent, by the way, if you've never been in the morning, Confirmation Sunday is like the lowest attended uh, because it's so long and we don't know the preacher. You know, people <laughs> tend not to go to our confirmation services. But there it was packed to the gills in uh, Midtown Manhattan, this Episcopal church, and it was, I've never experienced such a diverse group of people gathered in worship before. Uh, I was shocked. Because usually when people think about the Episcopal church, sort of blue-blooded, cradle Episcopalian sort of vision comes to people's minds, especially when you think about places like Manhattan. But right there in the middle of Manhattan, there's this great uh, congregation gathered. And even the bishop, who does confirmations all the time, said, this Sunday, I got to say, this is the largest uh, Episcopal church body gathered in the city of New York City. Uh, and it wasn't just that it was big. There were, there, I mean, there were homeless people there. It wasn't all white people. It was people of all different colors. Uh, they weren't all wearing suits. They, some were wearing suits. Some being confirmed were wearing suits. Some being confirmed were wearing sort of just casual clothing. Uh, the whole spectrum. And I just, I loved it. I, mean, I want more. I, I thought, golly, if I could see that every Sunday, you know. And then uh, I was envious. I really was. Uh, and then uh, last week, actually, something happened here at the Advent that was really, really cool. Um, uh, we just released our second issue of the Advent magazine. Uh, maybe you all have picked one up. If you haven't yet, they're the purple books out in Klingman Commons. Pick one up. They're free. Uh, each year when we uh, release the issue, we do a release party. How many of you went to the release party that Thursday? Uh, there were probably 150, 175 people in Klingman Commons for this event. And it was just such a, a cool, diverse group of people. I mean, there were normal sort of adventers there, but I, I'd, I'd wager a guess that at least 50% of the people in that room don't normally come to the Advent, uh, maybe have never been here before. And there they were, and the energy was just really awesome and electric. Uh, it was palpable. I mean, did you feel that if you were there? I did. I, I mean, I'm the guy running the event, so of course I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> But uh, it just it wasn't the type of gathering that I'm used to in churches, because uh, as Barack Obama says, you know, the most segregated place on a Sunday is church. Right. Not just at the Advent, but but everywhere. Um, for some reason, we tend to sort of worship with people who look like us and come from backgrounds like us. 
uh, no matter where you are racially, socioculturally, uh, that's just kind of the way it is, and that's too bad. Um, and so uh, thinking about Calvary St. George's, hey, um, uh, thinking about the Advent uh, magazine release party, that's what I want the 5 o'clock service to look like. Um, I, I, when I have a vision of what I see for what I hope uh, this community can be like, it is that. And it already kind of is. You know, if you look around this room, it's already starting to happen. Um, hey. What? She saw Barack Obama before. She knew I was talking about That was not a political statement, but... Um, yeah. Hey, I'm going to talk a little bit. Can you all go sit with your mommy? Um, we, when I first got here two years ago in this room uh, for this service, on a good Sunday, we had 40 people gathered. Um, and um, now on a good Sunday, tonight, I just looked at the book, the hosts filled in, 92 people were here. Uh, so on a good Sunday, we get up to about 100 people or so. 100 people in this space is feeling tight. It's standing room only. And there's a rule of, it's a principle in terms of church growth that once you've hit about three quarters capacity, you've hit a glass ceiling. Because people come in and they say, there's no more room for me. And they don't come back. And it, it tends to be true. So even if not all the chairs are filled, they, they mentally, I mean, because if you come in, the first two rows are empty. Because <laughs> nobody wants to sit up front, right? Uh, but what I'm saying is we've reached capacity in this space. So that's number one, uh, not number one, but that is a reason why we want to move into the nave. But I'd say number one, it's more about uh, who we want to uh, become and what it represents to be. And the nave means the main church sanctuary, if you don't know that term. Um, but moving 100 people into the nave is going to feel different than it does here. Uh, but I'm excited about the possibilities of going in there. It's a bigger space to fit more people, a more diverse body of Christ coming together to worship. It's right off the street. You open the doors and you go right in. You don't have to come in and go down this maze of corridors into this weird room with the checkerboard ca- pattern that you all know drives me crazy. Um, I feel like I'm in The Shining or something. Um, uh, uh, but to be... Yeah, it was, there was, a year ago, it was, um, there, it was bothering me really badly. Um, but uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Uh, but but well, we have a beautiful church uh, sanctuary, uh, and we want to harness it uh, for all that it can be. We've worked with the music ministry to navigate around uh, the, the afternoon concerts and even song services that they do to make it possible. Um, and uh, I hope to see... Uh, uh, not just young adults, because this isn't just a contemporary service that reaches young adults, but people intergenerationally in that space across the socioeconomic spectrum, uh, homeless people, transient people coming in too, uh, sitting side by side with folks who have 600,000 square foot homes in Mountain Brook. Um, I really do think that that's possible here at the five o'clock service. Um, and to sort of speak through what this is going to mean, both musically and liturgically, I've asked Zach to come up. Um, and a lot of the reason why we can now make this move is um, I really trust in Zach's leadership when it comes to the music and liturgy to do some great stuff in that space. So he's going to talk about that. Why don't you take this so we can record it for all prosperity. Thanks for the help. 
Alright, go back down. Thanks for the hug. Everybody give me a hug now. They're jealous. Let's hug now. Okay. Alright, so if some of you have been in um, some of my Sunday morning classes where I talk about the history of the English prayer book and my favorite guy, Thomas Cranmer, I mean, I just talk about him all the time. I know you're probably already sick, especially if you've heard it. But one of the things that he really emphasized in crafting the liturgy, in crafting worship, was he, he wanted it to be a very lively experience. He wanted it to be something where the heart was engaged and where you really felt like God was grabbing a hold of your heartstrings, ripping it out and, and giving you a new heart. You know, He wanted it to be a kind of born-again experience every Sunday when you gather. That was, that was his mold. In that sense, it was very small e evangelical. Uh, he wanted the gospel to be something that enraptured you and uh, made you fall on your knees again and then watch God pick you up again. It, it was meant to be death and resurrection. And uh, when, as we're conceiving of, of continuing to strengthen what we do liturgically and musically, it's moved around that. So for me, I'm really excited. I'm excited about uh, moving into the sanctuary, partially because I think some of the uh, the aesthetics of the space is going to lend itself to a greater sense of what w- our worship already is. I think it's going to feel very homey. One of the weird experiences I had was we got the band in there. We actually took our sound system, plugged it in and played. And I was expecting when we got in there that we were going to feel I was going to feel more of a tension because it's like, you know, the typical reaction to doing something like that is it's disjunctive. You know, this is a classical space meant for classical music, and it certainly is. I will tell you, as the musicians and I played just four measures into the first song to kind of test the system, we almost all had to stop because of how breathtaking and fitting it felt. And I'll tell you, even for me, I was surprised at how natural it felt to make that kind of music in that space. Um, and I'm super pumped. I mean, Melanie's nodding her head because she agrees. And Duncan is too. Right, Duncan? I'll pay you 20 bucks later. Um, it just it felt very natural. And it, it was kind of like um, I just felt God's blessing in that moment. I, uh, Matt was there. Brandon was there. And we all just kind of felt like this, this feels even more natural than we thought. And that really pumped me up for doing it. Now, I think some, even though I think there are way more pluses to this, um, a few of the minuses that are worth sort of talking about and thinking through as a community are, well, when we get in there, you know, 100 people in here feels a lot. It's going to feel like we're swallowed up by a huge room. Uh, and so we're trying to come up with ways that will mitigate that in the sense of, pews will be roped off and hopefully everyone will come forward and the lighting will be such that everyone will be kind of drawn to the front. So even in our big sanctuary, the hope is to make it feel a little bit more small and intimate. Um, also, there's there's kind of this sense, I mean, we talk about it globally at the Advent and since I'm the canon for liturgy and worship across the board, this is a discussion we're having generally that sometimes we feel like um, there's an austere element and worship in the nave in our sanctuary feels like it's really stayed. And if I were this community, one of the things that we cherish is the sense of being able to just come to God as we are uh, without any of that austerity. Um, and so at least some of the fear might be that we walk into that space and it kind of sucks the life out of what we have in here, in this space, in the shining room. Um, I actually think that 
and I've been in these situations before, a lot of it has to do with the people in the room way more than the aesthetics of the space. And what I love about what God has done here is he's cultivated a community that, I'll describe it this way, I've described it this way to a few people, that takes God seriously, but doesn't take themselves very seriously. And I will tell you that that kind of community, regardless of the space, is very contagious. That kind of community is very easy, easy to apprehend. Uh, and if we're the same kind of community, the kind of welcoming community, the warm community, the talkative community before services and after, in that room, it'll actually transform that space. And I think feel even more fitting that the sacred and the secular, us, the secular, you know, the ordinary mundane people of the world are gathered in a, in a really beautiful lofty space to encounter the God that we take very seriously. But we don't take ourselves too seriously. We just take him seriously. That juxtaposition, I think, will be very attractive. It'll be a good, it'll be a good aroma. Um, I do think, too, that there, you have to run, you run the risk of maybe losing the sense of intimacy that we have in a place like this. Some of that is going to be, you're not going to see us going up to the pulpit and going way back to our table, our altar back there. Everything's going to be brought into one more central spot. We're going to preach from just above those little steps that just go right up to the front of that chancel area where the choir is. And really, nothing's going to happen behind there. The table is going to be up front. And so the goal is to match the loftiness of the space with the connectivity of what it is. And I was telling a group on Friday, um, when you see the setup and you see the table down on the level with the people, and you know Cranmer, and I'm going to mention his name again because I love him. Um, it's a very Cranmer, Protestant, historic Anglican thing to do, which is to bring the table like it is here close to the people. Because God always, uh, I think God intended, and certainly the English reformers did because they thought God did, that the table was a place of access for the people of God to come receive the grace of God. And so I think part of those things will help mitigate the intimacy. But ultimately, I actually think it's on the backs of us um, to be the kind of community that as others come in, welcome them in, and to be kind of honest, authentic about maybe how we sort of fumble through worship and yet attempt to, to work, work through that together. And I invite you just even as we think about some of those barriers, but all those, also those possibilities that we all begin praying for that and praying that God would bring more people. But then actually, um, people you're connected with, invite them. I think it will be more of an inviting space. I mean, people often talk about the creepy church event that you have to go to where you have to walk, you know, inside the church and figure out where it is, you know. And and the five o'clock has somewhat felt like that. I remember our first Sunday here not too long ago. It's like, where is this spot? And walking down these corridors and seeing the floors and uh, one of the musicians commented, I thought this was funny. He's like, he walked into this room. He's like, and he was just, we have a, a friendship enough that he's willing to just joke around. But he, he just said, this looks like kind of like, you know, Masonic room where weird sacrifices happen, you know? Um, I actually think it's a beautiful space, but it does have that kind of feel. And I wonder what being in the sanctuary will do just sort of to, to open us up as well, to open our hearts and do those things. And so I'd love to ask Brandon to come forward. And continue. Aww. At first, I thought that was for me, so I was really. Uh... 
But then I realized it was for Zach. Um, well, so as you most, as most of you know, I'm, um, you know, young adult and college minister. Um, so random musings on young adult and college ministry that I have. Uh, I think most of you know when I was at, I graduated from Beeson about a year and a half ago, and I worked at uh, the Apple Store at the Summit. As I said the other day to Matt and Zach and a few others, working at Apple while I was at Beeson, I just will never be the same. You cannot read random German theologians like Jürgen Moltmann, uh, you know, and be pouring through this book and be in an ivory tower, right? Because then when I go, go to work every day, there are people who just quite frankly don't care. Um, they're atheists, they're agnostics, they're, they've been burned by the church. Uh, so I'm always challenged, even as I work here, to, to go out of these walls and to interact with people outside the church. Um, one sociologist I recently read, his name is Robert Wuthnow. Uh, he's uh, one of the you know, most well-known religious sociologists in our day. And he describes young adult religion in America as religious tinkering. So religious tinkering, that is the religion of young adults. What he means by that is that um, increasingly in our day, in our globalized world in cities, millennials, for example, a millennial who goes off to college at UAB is now all of a sudden, he may have grown, he or she may have grown up in an evangelical church, but now he and she, he or she is rubbing shoulders with a Buddhist, a Muslim, a New Ager, someone who identifies with Wiccan spirituality, right? I mean, if, if your child, uh, or if you're a high schooler or something, if you grew up in the evangelical church, now you're suddenly face to face with someone totally different, right? Uh, and so what do most young adults do? Well, they begin to tinker with religion. So now we have this amorphous spirituality and religion. Um, and also one of the things I've begun to notice is I've talked with uh, millennials, people my age uh, and younger, um, is this general sense of storylessness. Just I, I encourage you all to just start chatting with people. I was at I was in uh, was it Crestline Village where Taco Mama is. Just started randomly talking to the guy taking my order and, and listening to his conversion into Buddhism. Right? I mean, just observe and listen to the stories people are telling. There's a general sense of storylessness, nihilism, meaninglessness. Young adults in our day. Um, uh, no longer have, we can no longer assume as Christians that out there, the world out there has the basic Christian plot line. It has been the mistake of Protestants for far too long to think that the people out there in our world have the basic Christian storyline. It is no longer the case. Uh, and so what must we do? We have to retell the story. We have to retell the story. I think we're uh, beginning to enter a period, and in Birmingham, we'll hold out for a little bit longer. In Birmingham, because we're in the South, we're still in a Bible Belt culture, so we'll have several more years, but eventually, Birmingham is going to look like San Francisco, um, and we have, to, we have to retell the story. Uh, we have to bear witness to the gospel just like the early church did in Rome. 
and I think one of the things we are going to have to do is make use of the liturgy, again, for young adults and millennials and people who have left the church. Why? Because the liturgy tells the story, and we must rehearse the story again and again, explicitly and in detail, because people out there no longer have the story. Um, so, I'm, that's, that's who I am. I'm very much interested in uh, helping the church think through reaching young adults and, uh, and millennials and the seekers. Um, and there's no easy answer, really. Uh, we're going to have to patiently reflect and be thoughtful and, and realize that we're an institution that exists not for ourselves, but for others, right? Um, I hope that makes sense. Uh, well, without taking too much longer, I guess, uh, is that good on young adults in college? Yeah, so one of the things I'm also interested in as we're being hospitable to the outsider is to, is to begin to assemble a hospitality team. The only thing I know to say is, well, I know when I invite people over to my house, I always forget to get beer, wine, food. So I just have them over and then they don't have anything to eat or drink. I'm terrible at hospitality. I'm a terrible human being. So I, I want us to be hospitable and have coffee and, uh, you know, tea and that sort of things for people. Um, so I need help. Uh, we need help. So if you're interested in serving in a, in a hospitality way, if you're good at that, uh, please come talk to me. Um, one, I visited a church in England, um, in London. It was their five o'clock service actually, and it's thriving. It has, um, a lot of young people, a lot of college students who are coming to the city. And uh, over on the side, because, you know, we were in England, right, there's a table and people were dishing up, uh, you know, hot tea and crumpets and scones. Well, we can do the Birmingham thing and do like biscuits and bacon and sweet tea or whatever. But if you are interested in hospitality, uh, please come talk to me. Would love, would love and need your help desperately. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Talking about hospitality, where's Bethany? You can just, you want to take this? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm recording it because there are a lot of people who can't make it. Um, but you can just talk for a couple of minutes. So ask yeah. Bethany to talk. If you don't know, Bethany is our, um, you want to set it here? You're tethered to me. Um, our uh, mission and outreach coordinator, and um, you know, moving into the nave, being right off the street, like I said earlier, I really do hope that um, we're able to reach some folks that we don't normally reach on a Sunday, which is our sort of transient and homeless population right in downtown Birmingham. And you have tons of experience. And there's sometimes people get anxious about what does that mean. Uh, and so I've asked Bethany to talk about being hospitable to, to those strangers. Yeah, and hopefully this is an ongoing conversation um, that as you experience interacting with people that might be different than people that are in your normal spheres of life, then um, then it can be this ongoing conversation. In fact, right as I parked in the day school parking lot, because I didn't know maybe if we were going to still be in the garden and I, my fingers were crossed. And so I went all the way around and um, you know saw some guys coming back from Lynn Park and had we been in the nave, the doors would have been wide open and maybe we'd, we would have had some new friends. Um, but one of the things that Matt and I have been talking about, I think a lot of the staff and I have been talking lately is, you know, what happens when someone that looks like they've come in that's homeless sits next to you? Um, 
maybe you've had the experience of someone being really rude and feeling like a little prickly and maybe they don't belong here. And I think I could venture to say that if you're part of the 5 p.m. community, then actually you're here because you have um, more of a sensitivity and want to reach out to people that are a little bit different than us. Um, so, you know, a fun guideline would be to treat other people like you would like to be treated. <laughs> We're recording this, so that's a good principle, right? Um, and I mean, we, we have people that come in all the time, and, and sometimes, you know, people with mental illnesses can be a little bit distracting, um, but recognizing our brokenness in front of the cross of Jesus really should remind us that we all come um, at the same level. Um, so I would just encourage you, especially as we move into the name, to view this as an opportunity to be welcoming and hospitable and that whether or not you're signed up as a host, um, that all of us as part of the larger body of Christ have an opportunity um, to be salt and light wherever we are, whether it's inside of this building or outside. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to get to know uh, the new people that the Lord brings to us. Um. We, uh, Alfred, you want to come up here? Um, one of the other things, uh, the last time we had a town hall meeting and sort of giving you the vision of what I really love um, this community to, to start to look more and more like was our Lessons and Carol service that we had last year, which was us going out uh, into, into the world and, and more people coming uh, to that service than we normally experience, partly because there's just zero barrier to entry and people were right there in the park. We're going to do it again this December. I'm excited about it. I hope it's even better than last year. Um, and we have an unbudgeted opportunity that's come up with the Lessons and Carol service. Can I get specific about that? Or? Sure. Um, we, uh, we started to get to know uh, one of the band members from St. Paul and the Broken Bones, and he's willing to do some arrangements for us uh, for that service to do really cool uh Christmas music set to the sounds of Birmingham um, and Alabama, um, but it, it, it'll cost us some money that we're not used to, and that means bringing in some more band members, not just paying for the arrangements. Um, and we hope that that service isn't just that it's cool, but it reflects what we're, we're trying to become. We'd love to see it happen, but uh, in order to make that happen, we're going to have to do some fundraising, and Alfred has a thought about that. Do you want to... I'm not used to mics in churches. So I don't know if I need that. Yeah. <laughs> Can everybody hear me? Okay. So, uh, who all went last year to the service? So I was here, and uh, I know it feels like for you and for my family. I mean, that was an incredible evening. Uh, it was just kind of a magical, spiritual event that really meant a lot to, to Sally uh, and I, and my girls. And uh, you know, to me, it epitomizes uh, kind of shows what the five o'clock service is about is that we're out in the city we're out in railroad park which is a beautiful setting we have uh great preaching and great music and it just means a lot and people walking up was just a really awesome um night and uh i think i approached matt a couple weeks ago and said i think it would be really cool if we as a five o'clock worship body took that on and the financial aspect of it which is real uh that we we came up with a way to say this is it's a five o'clock service, this is our night at Barrow Park. Uh, of course, you know, when you volunteer, sometimes when you come up with some ideas, you get to volunteer for the idea too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a guy that likes to talk about money or fundraise money, but I really believe that 
that this is achievable and that for us as a, as a worship service that we could come to the, uh, the Advent and say this is the 5 o'clock service doing this service at Railroad Park. And I know it would be meaningful for all of us that we're all take ownership of it and we're a part of it, not just an attendee at the service. So can I throw out dollar amounts? I mean, do we need yeah, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So ultimately, I think if we had a target to reach, it would be $5,000. Um, you know, the park's not inexpensive. We have musicians, and I know that's a lot of money. Uh, my thought is we have two months before we need to come up with $5,000. And so uh, if we kind of break this thing down. Three months. Three months. Yeah, really three months. So if we kind of broke it down and say, basically, if we had 100 people that could come up with $50 each, then we'd be there. I think we've got 100 people that come to the service regularly enough between, uh, not every Sunday, but I think that's doable. And if basically we broke it down in two months. If we had 25 bucks in October and 25 in November, and we could see where we are, if we could all commit to $25 each month, then we could come up with the $5,000. That was basically my idea. And um, I'm glad to, I'm great with spreadsheets, so I can, keep, <laughs> I can keep up with numbers. I can do all kinds of things. But uh, for me and for my family, I know that, that I want to be a part of the service, and I will personally want to give to that and come. The main thing is y'all need to come and tell some friends and get them down there too because we want that spillover from Renner Park to come on five blocks over to our sanctuary uh, the next Sunday, and I think it's a one-time opportunity to really tell the city of Birmingham who we are, and this is how we worship, and we want you to be a part of it. Thanks, Alfred. Um, yeah, so he'll, he'll be your point. Thank you. Um, thanks to Sally, too, by the way, who helped put this on tonight. Um, um, if you would like to participate in that fundraising, Alfred's the person to talk to. I also put a basket here, which have um, pens and index cards. If you're willing to pledge to that fundraising drive, or maybe you have a check tonight, you want to put 50 bucks in, go for it. If you have a $5,000 check, I'll accept that as well. Make it out to the Cathedral Church of the Advent and memo line, lessons and carols. Um, but I have pens, index cards, the basket there. If you're willing to commit to it, um, put your contact information down so so Alfred can follow up with you uh, if maybe you don't have your checkbook uh, here tonight. Thanks for spearheading that. You'll probably hear us talk about it again. I really hope we can do it. Um, you know, no matter what we raise, it'll go towards the service, which we'll do regardless. But the more money we raise, the more special we can make it, uh, including if we go over five grand, uh, we'll just have more heaters um, because we had very few last year and it was very cold. Um, things like that. So, um, uh, so. That's kind of really it in terms of content. I'm sorry, I meant to end this at 7, which really means I'm not going to open it up to discussion, but you all know my contact information. If you want to talk to me or uh, you can talk to Zach or, or Brandon, too, about these thoughts, we'd love to hear your sort of responses. But remember, in two weeks, October 2nd, will be the first Sunday in the nave. Uh, we're trying to work out all the kinks, uh, but there are going to be unanticipated things that we never thought of, so bear with us during that. Uh, time, but I, I'm really excited about it uh, for for not just the space, but for what that means in terms of people uh, and filling that space with with new folks, not just for church growth, but for uh, gospel growth, for um, propagating the gospel, getting that message out that we have a heart for, um, and uh, especially those who've not yet heard it. Um, so number one, like I said in my sermon, you know, evangelism doesn't start with proselytizing; it starts with prayer. 
Um, uh, uh, so, so pray for this endeavor. Pray for the five o'clock. Pray for our move. Uh, pray for uh, the people who might start to come around. Pray for the people who are already here. Um, pray for us who are leaders. Um, pray for this lessons and carol service and uh, the folks that service in particular might draw, uh, especially because it's right there outside and people are walking by are going to be curious and, and wonder what we're up to. Um, and then when new people start coming around, like we really need your help. Like Zach said, this isn't about manipulating the space. It's about the people who are there and the warmth that we provide. Uh, be the front line for us in terms of uh, introducing yourself. Um, and maybe it's someone that does, has been here for 30 years. That's okay if you say, have we met? Have we not met before? Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, uh, tell me more. What's your story, you know? Um, and uh, if you're willing, uh, go out to dinner together afterwards. Go to Paramount. I think that's the closest, decent, affordable restaurant uh, right here downtown, unless you want to spend a pretty dollar over at the new Redmont Hotel. Uh, Paramount's a great place uh, to, to, to invite the stranger uh, to hang out with you or whatever through your creativity you come up with uh, to be hospitable. Um, and finally, a note about the kids. Thank God that they're here, you know, and that they're making that noise. I know sometimes it's annoying, and my kids are the chief among them, but they're exactly where they need to be. They're exactly where they need to be, and we might not be used to that in the nave in particular, but let's just embrace it, you know? I mean, that's the Holy Spirit uh, working through them. Uh, you were once a, a dirty, noisy child, too, you know? Um, and so uh, thank God that they're here, uh, and... Uh, and Right. Yeah, they are. Um, and uh, the, the reason I bring that up is this, the new the new person, the stranger might not be used to that. And especially if they have kids to let them know, like, that's OK, that they're fidgeting and making a little bit of noise. Um, uh, they're, they're exactly where they need to be. You know, help us with that, uh, because it's a it's a, <laughs> it's not something that that the church is often used to. We're so used to quarantining the kids. We're used to quarantining the homeless. You know, we're used to quarantining so many different populations of people. But remember that the, the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ is for all people, all people of all stripes, uh, including you and me. And uh, as we uh, end here, uh, let's collect all these thoughts with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Uh, most gracious God, thank you for this five o'clock service. Thank you for the Advent, Lord. Thank you for those who are here, right here, right now. Um, thank you for bringing them to this place. And thank you for those who are yet to come. Help us to propagate your good news, especially for those who've not yet heard it. Uh, and I pray for those who've been burned by the church, maybe burned by the Advent itself. Uh, we repent of uh, any ways that we've had that have... Uh, made us feel too exclusive uh, for certain people, Lord. Um, and I pray for the city of Birmingham, uh, for, for anyone who lives not only in our city limits, but in this area, uh, that uh, not just the Advent, but that gospel-based churches all over this area will reach them um, uh, and touch their hearts in, in new and profound ways, if, especially if they have not yet heard that message. Lord, help us. During this time, especially the move, I pray for Zach and his leadership and Thanksgiving. I pray for uh, Brandon and uh, his work with young adults. Uh, help him to help us to tell your narrative, Lord. And uh, I thank you for Bethany and her work uh, 
with uh, the transient homeless population or for work with missionaries abroad. Thank you for uh, Sally and Alfred Goings for for her uh, help tonight with hospitality. Uh, May we uh, follow in her footsteps to be so hospitable. And thank you for Alfred and his initiative uh, to lead us in new ways of commitment. All these things, Lord, and those things left unsaid, would you answer them as you see fit by the merits and mediation of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.